0: I want you to stand with me and go to Ezekiel chapter number 8. Ezekiel chapter number 8. This is our third lesson in the series, Power in Prayer. And uh, we're going to talk tonight about the ministry of intercession. I've got one more lesson planned for next week, and that's building a prayer life. Um, there's, a chance I'll, there's a chance that I'll do another lesson on intercessory prayer and praying in the Holy Ghost Um, but, uh, but I'm not positive just yet, but I know next week we're going to talk about building a prayer life and go from there. If you found Ezekiel chapter number eight, verse 16, say amen. amen. And he brought me, this is, this is Ezekiel, the prophet talking about, about the Lord. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. Everybody say the Lord's house and behold at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar were about five and 20 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east and they worshiped the sun toward the east. And he said unto me, hast thou seen this, O son of man? It is, a, is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? for they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put the branch in their nose. Therefore, will I also deal in fury? Mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them? Amen. Isn't that an encouraging word? It's exciting, isn't it? I want to preach about the ministry or teach a Bible class on the ministry of intercession. Lord, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost be mixed with faith in our hearts that it might profit I pray, God, that you would raise up an army of intercessors, Lord, that will seek your face and stand between you and between sinners and bring them to you. God, I'm asking you, Lord, to anoint this church with a special anointing of intercessory prayer for this time and this hour in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The eighth chapter of Ezekiel paints a depressing picture of God's people. These were the people of God. The Bible said it was the Lord's house. The Bible said it was the door of the temple of the Lord. And the Bible said it was the house of Judah or the house of praise. They were the people of God who had been taught how to worship. They had been taught how to seek God. They knew his mercy and grace. From the time that they were little children, they had been taught about how to seek God and serve God. If anybody knew about the power and the majesty and the glory of God, it was these people who had been raised in and near the house of God. They knew about his glory. However, they were in God's house, but their hearts were far from the God of the house. Ezekiel 8 and 16 paints quite a picture for us. The Bible said, the prophet said, he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, to the inner court, the holy place of the Lord's house. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and 20 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord. Notice they had turned their back towards the house of God. They were at the house of God, but they had postured themselves to look away from God's glory with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they worshiped the sun toward the east. Now, This sun worship, worshiping the sun was nothing new. It was common in Babylonian religion. It was one of the staples of Egyptians' religion. I would postulate that they got this way back when they were slaves in Egypt and they would worship, they were in this culture that worshiped the sun. But the audacity of these 25 men to stand at the Lord's house and turned their back on God to worship the Son. The temple had an inner court and an outer court, and collectively, this place represented the presence of God. It was here that God would show himself. The psalmist understood the value and the privilege of the courts of the house of God. Psalms 84 and 10, very common says, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I've heard people wonder, what does that mean? A thousand what? Well, a thousand anything. A day in the courts of the Lord is better than a thousand anything. A thousand days anywhere. He said, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand and i would had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my god than to dwell in the tents of wickedness i would i don't want to get into that too much but the job of the doorkeeper in the house of god was the worst job you could have in the house of god it was worse than carrying oil it was worse than carrying out the ashes from the altar being a doorkeeper in the house of God was the worst job you could have. He said, I'd rather have the worst job in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. A day in thy courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. Uh, one day in his presence. Last, uh, last week, I was, I was doing the anniversary service for Brother Platania in Rome. And as part of that uh, As part of that, we had to pass through the Vatican to go where we were wanting to go to eat supper, and uh, they had this they had this line of people waiting to go into that uh, into the into the uh, St. Peter's Basilica, and this long line. I mean, it was thousands and thousands of people. I'm gonna tell you that one day in the course of the Lord is better than a thousand days there. One day in His presence is better than a thousand days anywhere. This understanding makes what the prophet Ezekiel described inexplicable. He said that the Lord brought him to the inner court, the closest you could have gotten to where God manifested himself at that time. Now in the temple where the presence of God was, he looked and standing between the porch and the altar were these 25 men these 25 people who had positioned themselves with their back against the house of God and looking toward the east to worship the sun. Between the porch and between the altar, the porch was the place where they sang And so standing between a place of worship and the place of sacrifice, they're worshiping the sun God. There are a lot of people who advance to the porch. They love feeling his presence in worship and singing. They love the power of his presence, but they're not quite willing to go far enough to sacrifice. And so they get between worship and sacrifice But I'm going to tell you, if you never advance to where you're willing to sacrifice for God, there's all kinds of other worship that will enter into your life. There are people that have trouble. I don't want to sacrifice anything. I don't want to change anything in my life. I don't want my lifestyle to be affected by my faith. I don't want the altar to change anything. And so they get suspended between. And when you stop short of the altar... There's all kinds of other things that will start. You'll start worshiping your habits. You'll start worshiping your entertainment. You'll start worshiping your hobbies. And so you have to advance to this place of sacrifice. The idea of sacrifice caused them to turn their back on the house of God. And there's a lot of people that while you're singing and worshiping and talking about miracles and signs and wonders... They're all about the porch, but when you start talking about the altar, no, that's the, I'm not quite willing to go that far. Y'all okay? And so when it came to the idea of advancing to sacrifice, they turned their faces toward the east. The east was significant because the sun rises in the east. And so they decided to find something else to give their worship to, something that wouldn't qualify or wouldn't require the same amount of sacrifice and so they adopted the worship of the idolaters around them worshiping the Sun verse 18 of Ezekiel chapter number eight said then he said unto me hast thou seen this O son of man do you see what they're doing Have you ever had that moment where you've seen stuff going on in the world and you said did you, have, did you see that Have you ever said that to anybody did you see that did you see what they did He said, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah, the house of praise, the people that were supposed to be created to worship me, the ones that were created to praise my name, the house of Judah, that they commit abominations, which they commit here, not just anywhere, but here, of all places. They have filled the land with violence. It's their fault that what's going on in the land, the violence, the things that are, they have returned to provoke me to anger and lo, lo, they put the branch in their nose. This, this, this putting the branch in the nose is a little bit of an obscure phrase. It appears that it was a reference to the worship style of a group called the Akkadians. They would approach their idols by holding a branch or a stick in front of their face it was a way of them humbling themselves before their idols and god said they put the stick in their nose it angered god that they would come to his house and worship in a way that idols were worshiped and if they were do as if as if they were doing god a favor by showing up and he should just be happy that they showed up they committed abominations in the house of god so let's look at verse 18 therefore will i also deal in fury It's, it takes a lot for a merciful God to say, I'm not going to deal in mercy, I'm going to deal in fury. He said, Mine eye shall not spare, I'm not going to have mercy on anybody, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Well, that's quite a phrase. Verse 18 is quite a verse. When God goes as far as to say, okay, he said, he used the word fury. That word means anger. One of the definitions is poison, hot displeasure, furious, indignation, rage. He said, okay, that's the way you want it. This is the way it's going to be. I told Brother Wilson yesterday, I need to go on a long fast because my I don't care button is on a trigger. Air trigger right now. I said, I got to pray that that I get my spirit so I don't just say what I think sometimes. And uh, y'all better pray for me. Everybody liked Jesus till he turned tables over. God said, okay, that's how you want it. I'm going to deal in my fury. My eyes shall not spare. Neither will I have pity. It doesn't sound like the God we've been raised to know, does it? That doesn't sound like the God that we learned about in Sunday school, does it? Are you all here? And though though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. God is saying, I'm not going to listen to them when they pray. But my question is, why did he tell Ezekiel? Why not just do it? If you're going to do it, why not just do it? Why do you have to tell me about it? If you're going to deal in fury and you're not going to have pity and you're not going to spare and you're going to have indignation and rage, and when they cry, you're not going to, then why tell Ezekiel about it? Why not just finish them off and be done with them? Get rid of those 25 and move on. But God was inviting Ezekiel into the circumstance for a purpose and for a reason. That ended chapter 8. That was the end of chapter 8. Chapter 8 ends with God saying, I'm done. I'm going to deal in fury. I'm not going to listen. I'm not, when they pray, I am not going to listen. And then here comes chapter 9, verse 1. And he cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, cause them to have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with a destroying weapon in his hand. Boy, it sounds like God's still mad, doesn't it? Tell them to bring a sword. Tell them to bring a spear, bring a knife, bring a dagger, bring something you can kill somebody with. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. Which doesn't sound like it's getting any better, does it? And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood behind beside the brazen altar. If you can get this picture in your mind, you have, you have this this uh, this, this one man clothed, clothed in linen, and he has a writer's ink inkhorn by his side. He's got he's got a, a a vessel full of ink, and he's got this, the, if you will, a pen, and he's standing behind the altar, the brazen altar, and the Bible said the glory of the house of uh, the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub. The angel whereupon he was to the threshold of the house and he called the man clothed with linen which had the writers in by his side and the Lord said unto him go through the midst of the city through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. God said, Ezekiel, I'm going to send an angel out into the city. And their job is to find anybody that's willing to pray about what's going on in the world around them. Mark people that are willing to sigh and cry. Skip over the people that don't care. Skip over the people that just look the other way. Skip over the people that can live with all the stuff happening. Skip over the people that don't care about the 25 men worshiping the sun right there at the house of God. But you find people that are in their house that can cry and weep over what's going on in the world. And I want you to put a mark on those people. Can I tell you tonight that God is looking for intercessors? God is looking for people that can stir their heart up to seek God over the things that are happening in the world. It's easy to talk. It's easy to talk about the stuff that's going on in the world. I mean, if you can look at the political situation and the—I I read an article today. I read an article today that the the largest group, the largest group in America. It's just this this article came out. I think it was this morning that the largest group in America religiously checked the box none, 28%. 28% of Americans, when asked about their religion, they checked the box none. The next highest was 23 that said Catholic. The largest religious group in America right now, according to the article that came out today, are people that have no religion. Well, let's blame Hollywood. Let's blame the Democrats or the Republicans. Let's blame, let's, who, who do you guys want to blame? Who, who do you want to blame? You want to blame Hollywood? You want to blame the movie industry, the porn industry? You want to blame New York? I don't, you want to blame Washington, D.C.? Who do you want to blame? Here's what God said. Go find me people that will pray that will sigh and cry over the abominations that are committed in this place. Don't blame the politicians. Don't go mark the king, the king can't fix it. Don't go to the singers and the entertainers in the, in the, because they can't fix it. You find me some people that can pray and we can turn it around. And I'm gonna tell you, it's not up to Donald Trump to save America and it's not up to Joe Biden to save America. It's not up to the libertarians, Republicans, Democrats. It's not up to any of that. It's not up to the entertainment industry, the music industry, the movie industry, none of that. You want to know what's going to save America? It's going to be a church. The only thing that can save America is when the church sighs and cries for the abomination. He didn't say, go find me some people that are mad enough to pray that these people die. He said, find me people that sigh and that cry over it, whose hearts are broken over what's going on in the city and in the house of God and in the world. An intercessor, God's looking for intercessors. I'm tell you what God's looking for out of Bethlehem Church. Thank God we've got people that are talented to sing and play music and, and do all kinds of different things around the house of God. But I'm going to tell you the thing that we need more than anything else is we need people who can sigh and cry and pray that God would turn the tide of revival in this community, in our city. Let's not talk about the drug addicts and when, when we read the, the newspaper article that somebody overdosed and we sit down and we ought to just throw all the dope dealers in prison. Why don't we just take the time and say, God, somehow, can we sigh and cry over what's happening? God, let us have a burden for what's going on. Let's not be the church that passes the buck to the politicians and say, you ought to clean this up. Let's not be the church that says it's up to the police to fix it. Let's be the church that says an altar can change anything. So God, marked me as an intercessor. And I wonder if the Lord was passing through this building tonight and if God was walking the aisles and the pews of this sanctuary, would he be able to mark men and women as people that will sigh and cry, God, save our community. God, save our city. God, save our schools. God, save our families. God, turn our nation around. God is looking for intercessors. Hebrews 7:25 wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Can I tell you what's on the mind of God right now? Can I tell you what Jesus is doing right now? Jesus is interceding for sinners. Jesus isn't saying, let's throw them in the lake of fire. Let's get rid of them. We can get rid of them. The world will be a better place. He ever liveth to make intercession. Somewhere somewhere out in the spiritual realm right now, Jesus is making intercession for a sinner that's getting ready to put a needle in their vein. He doesn't want them to go to hell. We may want them to and we may not want to see them, but God doesn't want them to. He ever liveth to make intercession, and you'll never be more like Jesus than you are when you're praying and interceding for somebody. Ian Bounds, the great preacher of the 1800s, a prolific writer on prayer, he said this. He said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. The mightier the forces against evil. I heard an old Pentecostal lady years ago say, All failure is prayer failure. Stir us to pray, God. Stir us to pray. Stir us to pray, God. You want me to you want me to just say what I think. I already said that I've been I have to go on a fast so I won't, but I'm going to go ahead and say this. We're just getting started in this political cycle. I don't know that it ever stops. But you want me to tell you something that makes me mad? Christians that evangelize more for Trump than they do for Jesus. He's not our savior. I'm not saying I don't want him to win. I don't, I, I stay, you know I try to stay out of all that mess. But I am going to tell you what, that if we would spend half the time talking about Jesus that we do about everything else, we would see more revival. God mark us as people that sigh and cry. I'm not telling you not to have an opinion. I'm not telling you not to vote. But I am telling you, pray, 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 pray. God needs a church that can intercede. Go through and mark them. Dr. J. Edwin Orr was a leading scholar of revivals, and after extensive research, he summarized his findings with this one sentence. He said, Quote, there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Let me read it again. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. God, teach us to pray. God, teach us to pray. God, lead us to pray. God, when we pass by a sinner, don't let us wait for judgment, but let's pray, oh God, turn them around. I was was coming out of Memphis from the airport the other night, and... uh, we, we, it was freezing rain and we decided not to try to come down through here with all that ice. And so Kate and I got a room and uh, we, we passed by a Kroger. We went into the Kroger to get a little something so we could eat in the hotel that night and not to get out on the roads. And when, when, we, when we pulled to the parking lot of the Kroger, there was a homeless man with a shopping cart laying under the, one of the, the cover's trying to get in out of that freezing rain. And I saw that man laying there. And I thought, God, does that stir our hearts? I know what, I know, I know there's a reason he's like that. Well, if he wanted to work, he'd work. Well, if he, you don't know why he's the way he is. You don't know what might've happened to him to break him to the point that he's willing to live outside on a cold night. And so instead of just jumping out and saying, That there's a problem. So, why don't we just say, God, somehow help us be an answer? Help us be an answer for somebody. I didn't expect any amens there because we are programmed to want judgment. But God's looking for an intercessor. A great, can I preach a little while longer? A great example of an intercessory prayer for the church comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians. It appears that the church at Colossae was started by a Gentile preacher, a convert named Epaphras. He's mentioned three times in the New Testament. He served with the apostle Paul, who referred to him. Paul called him a fellow servant, a faithful minister, and a servant of Christ Jesus. In the letter to the Colossians, Paul said that Epaphras had reported back to Paul of the love of the church of Colossae, that the love they had in the Spirit. Paul and his team heard that the church loved in the Spirit, and it inspired Paul and his team to pray for the church at Colossae. Here's what Paul's prayer was, Colossians 1 and 9. He said, we heard about how you loved in the Spirit, and that was verse 8. And so in verse 9 he says, for this cause... We also, since the day that we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The first thing Paul prayed for this church at Colossus, Colossae was that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. It's important to know God's will. If you don't know God's will, it's easy to pray for things and desire things and fight for things that are not in the will of God. How much time do you think has been wasted over the years praying and working and trying to get things that were not the will of God? They were our will and we wanted what we wanted. If we're not careful, we'll make what we want, what we like, and what we desire the focus of our prayer and our work, and we'll miss God's will altogether. Then serving God and worshiping God becomes about our preferences and our desires and not about God's will at all. We start living for ourselves and not living for the kingdom. And so God, help us to know your will And so Paul said, Colossians 1 and 9, for this cause, since that day we heard it, we ceased not to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. God, help us to know your will. God, help us to know your will. I don't want to just waste time doing stuff we shouldn't do. Help us to know your will, God. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, the word spiritual here means non-carnal. In other words, it's not understanding that comes from human spirit and human reasoning. It comes from God. Sometimes things seem to make sense in the natural, but they don't make sense in the spiritual. And so he said, I want you to have spiritual understanding so you can understand things spiritually, not necessarily naturally. How many, sta- how many mistakes have been made by trying to interject human ideas and human will and thought? processes that were not inspired by the spirit of God. And because we thought of it, we just said, well, that's God's will because we like it. That's what I like. So that's got to be God's will. Paul said, the first thing I'm going to pray for this church is that they know God's will and that they have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Once someone has their own will and their own thoughts imposed over God's will and God's thoughts, it's almost impossible. Possible to get anything spiritually good out of them. Because they mistake their will for God's will. And so when they don't get their will, they stir up strife, they cause division, they complain and gripe, never satisfied. All this because their human will is confused with God's will and they have no spiritual wisdom and no spiritual understanding. And so they say things like, I asked God and God didn't change my mind. Well, because your mind is made up. You're asking for your will and not being spiritually sensitive to God's will. I told you the story. I I told you a couple weeks ago, and I think it was lesson one of this series, that I was dating when I was was younger. I was dating this girl, and she was so pretty I wanted to marry her. And uh, I knew she wasn't right for my ministry, and I knew she wasn't right for my life, but she was so pretty that I, I, was, I was real close to being willing to, uh, to, to just go ahead and marry her. And I, I was praying. I, went, I was in College Station, Texas, and I was, uh, Bryan College Station, I was walking through the church, and I spent about four hours that morning walking around the church, and I was praying about it. I was praying, God, give me my will. God, help it work. I wasn't saying that, but what I was saying was, God, help it work out. God, help it work out. Help us work this out. Well, it was never God's plan for it to work out. Thank God. But because I had my will superimposed over God's will, I wasted months trying to make something not right be right. And so God, help us to know your will. God, help me to have spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we don't spin our wheels trying to do something that's not your will. Anybody with me tonight? It's intercession. Paul was praying for this church. Let's go on. Verse number 10, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He said, it's not enough just to be a member of a church, but God, help us to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. God, help me to live in such a way that my life pleases you, not pleases me, not my will, not what I want, but God, am I pleasing you? And Paul prayed, Lord, that the church might walk worthy of, of you in all pleasing. God, I want to be pleasing to you. You spend time, you ever spend time praying, God, help my life to be pleasing to you. Instead of saying, God, bless me. God, help me to please you. God, help me, Lord Jesus, to live, to walk worthy. Let me tell you, as a child of God, you're not supposed to walk like the rest of the world not supposed to live like the rest of the world. I know, I know it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse. But I'm going to tell you there ought to be something different about a child of God than the world. God help me to walk worthy of the Lord. Help me to live the kind of life that's pleasing to you. And then look what he says, being fruitful in every good work. God help me to be fruitful Help me, God, to be fruitful. I don't want to just be a pew warmer. I don't want to just be a church attender. I don't want to just show up and go home and nothing ever, and never make any difference for anybody. Help me, God, to be fruitful. Can you do that? Can you put your hand on your chest and say, God, help me to be fruitful? Help me, God, to be fruitful. Come on, let's pray. Help me, Lord, to walk worthy of you into all pleasing and to be fruitful in every good work. What's Paul doing? Paul is putting himself between the church and God, and he's saying, God, this is what I need you to do for them. He's he's interceding. He's making an intersection. He's coming together, and he's bridging the gap. He's praying for the church to know because, because they don't always know what to pray for. And so he's interceding and he's saying, God, help me be fruitful, Lord. God, I pray, help us to be a fruitful church. Help us, God, to be fruitful in every good work. And then he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It seems to me like there was a, a season. In Pentecostalism where in certain segments of the movement they prided themselves on ignorance it's not very nice to say is it but I already said it God wants us to grow in knowledge We should not be satisfied being exactly where we were a year ago. Amen. Y'all are quiet on me tonight. That either means that I am way off or I'm way on, and I got a feeling I'm on. I don't want to stay in the same spiritual place forever. Paul prayed for the church that they would increase in the knowledge of God. If I ever get to the point where I think that I've got no room to grow, then I'm in big trouble. Have you ever learned, have have you learned everything you want to learn or are you still hungry to learn from God's word? Now, look, I I realize that I'm preaching to the Wednesday night crowd on a foggy Wednesday. I I realize that that to a degree, I'm really not preaching to you as much as I'm preaching to the the ones that aren't here. But you can tell them I said it, okay? God, I want to know more about you. Here's what Proverbs said. Proverbs 2, 3 through 6. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge. When was the last time you got down and said, God, I need you to teach me. I need you to show me. I need you to help me. I got to learn something, God. And lifted up thy voice for understanding, not for blessings. God, give me a miracle. God, get me out of debt. God, help me pay that pledge that I got under conviction and made, and now I don't know how I'm going to pay it. God, help me. Bless me. No, no. He said they lifted up their voice for understanding. God, help me to know what I need to know. Help me, God, to understand more about you. If thou seekest her as silver, oh God. <laughs> I'm going to close my eyes when I say it because I don't want anybody to think I'm looking at Him. Even though we all sit in the same spot so much, I know exactly who I'm looking at. But I'm not doing it on purpose. Anybody ever been in financial trouble and said, God, I need you to help me. Send me an offering. Do something. Help me. Something. I need help. I need my, my bills paid. God, send me some money. I had a lady one time. I told you about it. She, could, she didn't have the sense to get in out of the rain. This was before I moved to Mississippi, so don't start looking around, pointing and thinking who I'm talking about. They didn't have the sense to get in out of the rain. It seemed like half the time I was having to help them with this or that. And she came to me one time out of the blue. After, I mean, when I talk about not having any sense at all, she had no sense at all. And she came to me one time and she brought me a check and I looked down the check and the check was for $83,000 and some, something. And she said, Pastor, don't cash it till February 2nd. This was like December. We're in a building program. I need to cash it right then. And she said, don't cash it till February the 2nd. I said, Why not? She said, because that's the night of the sweepstakes drawing. (laughs) She'd have been better off crying for understanding and knowledge. He said, if you seek knowledge and understanding like you seek silver and money, If you search for her as for hidden treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Can I tell you, if you'll get knowledge and understanding, money will come to you. You won't have to go after it. That's not the subject of my message tonight, but it's still a good point. Let me go on. Let me get back to Paul's prayer. I'm I'm definitely going to do two lessons on intercession. Colossians 1 and 11, we're just working our way through his prayer. He's still praying. He said, strengthened with all might. He's praying for the church. God strengthened them with all might according to his glorious power. Now, that part I like, okay? That part I like. Anybody like the might of God and his glorious power? Anybody? Anybody like his glory? I do. I like his glorious power. Anybody else like it? Yeah, I like his glorious power. I like miracles and all that good stuff. Why do I need his might and his glorious power? Listen to this next phrase under all patience and long suffering. He said, You're going to need might and power because you're going to have to have patience and long suffering. With joyfulness. He said, God, give them your might and power so that when they suffer and go through things, they can still have joy. Lord, I pray somebody's praying that for me right now. (laughs) That when I'm going through long suffering and patient, things that are trying my patience, God, that you will let me be joyful in the midst of all that. And that takes the power of God. And so he's praying. One more verse. Let me go, Let me one more verse in this prayer. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. God help us to be thankful that no matter what's going on in our life that you chose us to be partakers of a heavenly inheritance. Let me tell you, no matter how bad you may feel like your life gets and no matter how bad your trials and tribulations may be, you ought to always be thankful that there's an inheritance on the other side. And the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And so God, he's praying, Lord, help the church to give thanks for their inheritance. Because if you can stay focused on the inheritance, whatever you go through down here will be all right. That's a great intercessory prayer. That's a great prayer that he prayed. Every Christian should pray prayers of intercession, praying one for another. The church is God's instrument in the earth, the body of Christ, responsible for reaching this world with compassion, with the power of the gospel. And intercession is the key to breakthroughs in your life and in the lives of those around you intercessory prayer does not give up intercessory prayer is the kind of prayer that holds on until the answer comes it presses on until we come into god's will no matter what our family our friends are facing So close your eyes right now i've 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 got uh i've got eight more pages of notes and i'm but i'm not going to do it right now i'm to ask you to close your eyes i'm going to ask you if you will, to lay your hand on your own chest, and I want you to say, God, teach me how to be an intercessor. If you have somebody you know you need to pray for, and you don't really know how to pray, ask God, Lord, teach me how to intercede for my lost brother, my lost sister. God, teach me how to pray for my teenager, for my son, for my daughter. Lord, teach me how to pray for my coworker. worker I, I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know what they faced in their childhood. I don't know all the things that have gone into making them like they are. But God, I want you to help me to be an intercessor. God, I may not know all the answers, but I can sigh and I can cry for the abominations that be done here. God is looking for a church that will position itself between people and hell. And pray, God, save them. God save them. Can we pray right now? Can I I want you to pray with me that God would raise up intercessors that would seek Him, Lord, in Jesus' name. God, I ask you, Lord, raise up intercessors. God, raise up people that know and have a burden to pray. Not to pray for judgment, but God, to pray for mercy and grace. It's just as easy for me to pray that you save somebody as it is for me to pray that you judge somebody. It's just as easy, God, for me to pray for mercy for someone as it is to pray that you do something to get them out of the way. God, I'm asking you, Lord, to raise up intercessors that can touch the throne of God for revival to change our community. God, that will bring the community of Potts Camp in Marshall County and North Mississippi to the throne of God every day and say, God, give us wisdom to have revival. Give us us the key to reaching souls. God, give us compassion to reach and preach the gospel. Lord, I pray, come on, God, help me. While your hand's on your chest, help me, God, to be an intercessor. Help me to feel that burden so I can sigh and cry. That when the angel goes to the church and begins to mark those that sigh and cry for the abominations of Israel, that you'll find people here, God, that will seek your face. God, teach us. I'm going to tell you there's power in intercessory prayer. There's nothing like an old-fashioned Pentecostal intercessor that knows how to get a hold of God and pray And pray and pray until strongholds come down and chains break. Oh God, raise up prayer warriors that that can stir stuff up in the spirit, oh God. That can get angels to go to a prison if that's what it takes. God, that prayer was made of the church without ceasing. And because there were intercessors, an angel went into a prison and set a preacher free. (laughs) Oh God. Raise up intercessors in Jesus' name. God, I pray over this congregation today. I pray, God, a blessing over every family of the church in this church, every man, every woman, every young person, every child. Lord, I pray that you make them the head and not the tail. I pray, God, that you bless them with all manner of spiritual blessings, bless their marriages, bless their, their family relationships, bless their jobs, bless their finances, bless their mind, body, and spirit. Let the joy of the Lord be their strength and guide us, O God, as we pray for a great revival to stir our community. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you, God, for intercessors. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in the name of the Lord.